situation, and, and there were going to be positive and negative ramifications on both sides, regardless of what we did. And uh, so I, one, didn't feel qualified to make the decision, but two, I didn't want responsibility for the decision. And so I said, Jonathan, what do you, what do you think we should do? And he looked back at me, and he said, well, you're the pastor. You have to make these decisions. And uh, that was the first time I was, I'd been a pastor for about six months at that point, and that was my chairman of deacons looking at me saying, you're the pastor, you make these decisions. And I thought, I am literally the youngest man in this church. And uh, my wife is literally the youngest woman in this church. I am not qualified to make these decisions. And I was like, yeah. So he says, and I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to pray about it. And so uh, a couple hours later, I'm had made some phone calls to some men who were much older than me and much wiser than me and uh, and basically did what they said I should do in that situation because I didn't feel qualified. Like I, and, 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 and normally, the youngest person in the room is not the person that you ask for wisdom or that, that gets, has the power to make those decisions. But in that context, because of the role that I was in, that, that God had called me to and that the church agreed that God had called me to that, because of that context, my age didn't matter. My experience didn't matter, and, and my personal wisdom didn't matter. The context determined that I was the one to make that call. And when we come to Scripture, I think one of the, the most important things that, that we have to remember is that context is key. If we don't understand the context of what's going on in Scripture, and the, the historical context of what's going on, the theological context of what's going on, then as we read those passages of scripture, we read it right into our context where we are, and we go straight to application of what does this mean for me, except we miss a lot of times what it actually means for us because we don't understand what it originally meant back then. So this morning, I want us to look at the death of Jesus. Um, normally on Palm Sunday, we, we would look at uh, Jesus' triumphal entry. Um, and and I wanted to do that, except if I do that today, then next week I wouldn't be able to I talk about the resurrection next week, right? It's Easter, and we talk about the resurrection. And I felt like the cross is really important, um, and the resurrection doesn't matter a whole lot if the cross didn't happen. And so I decided, as much as I love talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus, the cross was really important for us to talk about. And so... Um, with that, let's go to Mark's Gospel. Now, it's important to understand, uh, Mark's Gospel was written by a man, uh, physically written down w with a pen, uh, by a man most likely named John Mark. And he was um, a, a follower of Jesus, but kind of came on the scene more after Jesus. And he was a really close uh, companion of the Apostle Peter. And so when you read Mark's Gospel... Uh, if you'll notice, Peter is in there a good bit, and there's some details that we have about Peter that some of the other Gospels don't offer, and sometimes some things are left out that some of the other Gospel writers put in there, and it's most likely because from Peter's perspective, that wasn't as important, or maybe Peter didn't even notice that was going on. And so, um, as we're reading this, we're reading this perspective that was written by someone who maybe didn't see the events, but it was told orally by someone who did. And that's important because there are some details here that would only come from someone who was there who experienced this. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 33. The verses are going to be on the screen as well if you want to follow along. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, 
Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling out to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was facing him saw that in this way, saw facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, that's the Jewish ruling council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate. And asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the Mary, Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. We thank you that when it came to saving us, that you spared nothing. We thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin and to redeem us back to yourself. That rather than staying angry with us forever and giving us our just penalty for, for rebelling against you, you and your mercy and your grace saw fit to take the punishment from us onto yourself and to save us from our sins. We thank you for that this morning. And I pray that as we look back on these events that happened nearly 2,000 years ago, that we would see them with fresh eyes. And Father, that we would realize that they are as important today as they've ever been. And that each of us would recognize that not only in the context of, of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, but in the context of each of our lives, that the story of the cross is pivotal. So open our eyes to see the truth of your word and give us hearts to receive it. In Christ's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So... <clears throat> First thing, hopefully, as we were reading through that, and it was a, a longer passage. I, I was telling the guys this morning, I, actually, there were two chapters of Scripture that I really wanted to read this morning, and I thought, hmm, unless I'm going to be Adam and preach for 45 minutes, I probably shouldn't do that. And so uh, I want you to come back next week. Um, Adam was trying to run you guys off uh, last month when he was doing that. So I don't, I don't want to do that. I want you to come back for Easter, so I'm not going to go for 45 minutes. Um, but, but as we were reading, even, even those verses, there's a lot of detail in there. You saw those names, and, and there are a lot of Marys, right, in the New Testament. Um, lots of Marys. And Mark, as he's writing, he wants us to know exactly which Marys he was talking about. Maybe as Peter was telling him, he's like, this is important, that this Mary was here, and this Mary was here. And then there were a lot of women that came up with Jesus, that followed him, that helped him in Galilee with his ministry, and then followed him to Jerusalem. 
Peter wanted, uh, thought that that was an important detail for us to know. Which is interesting because women didn't have, uh, they were not very well respected at all in that culture. They were basically there to, to take care of their husbands and to, to provide sons. And that's what they did. That was where their work was at, was in how many sons they could provide to their wives. And beyond that, um, th there wasn't a whole lot of, of value in them. They were seen as property. Um, and, and yet, Peter wanted us to know there were a lot of women there. In fact, at the tomb, none of Jesus' followers were there except for the women who had followed Jesus. And there was a man named Joseph of, of Arimathea who was a well-respected man. And remember... When this is written, some of the people who, who were there and experienced those things were still alive. And so they could have gone back to these places and said, hey, do you remember Joseph? Was, did, did he really do that thing? Did he really buy that, that shroud? Was Joseph really there at the crucifixion? Did he really go to Pilate? Pilate was a real person. He was a historical figure. And so they could, have, they could have gone back to this Roman centurion and said, hey, did that really happen? When, did Jesus really die on the cross? They could have asked these people these things. They were real people that were alive. It's just like when, when a tragedy happens in America, what happens? The, the news runs there, right? And they try to find witnesses. And they want to find people who are as close to it as possible. And what's really interesting is a lot of times in those situations and, and it's, there's a psychological phenomenon that happens, but, but people don't really remember what they see usually. And so what they do is they take their experiences of life and they put that together with what logically could have happened and they create a scenario of what happened. And that's why you have ten eyewitnesses of, of a wreck and all of their stories are different. And it's not just because their perspective, it's because their memories are different of what has happened in the past and what's possible, and so they tell their story differently. It's not that they're lying. Sometimes they are. It's not that they're always lying. It's that, that, that they're, uh, in, in that situation, our brains don't just remember things. They don't go, okay, I'm gonna need to remember everything I'm seeing. Let me pause and remember all this. And yet, in the midst of all these difficult things that are happening, we see Matthew, who's a follower of Jesus, and, and, and Mark, who was telling the story of Peter, who's a close follower of Jesus. And, and Luke, who, who spent a lot of time with Paul, and, and John, who was there and saw those things, that their stories are really closely aligned with one another. The details of their stories are closely aligned. And they give name after name after name after name of people who were there who experienced those things. Which, this is the thing, if, if these events didn't happen, then people who were there could have said, no, I was there, that didn't happen. And that's not what we see happening in history. So we can, we can believe that Jesus actually died. But why does that matter to us? I mean, really think about it. What other Jewish carpenter in history have you ever cared about that was crucified? I mean, do you even know another Jewish carpenter in history? Or it, let's, it's just any person in history who, who, was, who was crucified outside of Christendom. Do you know anyone? We can't name anyone. We can't think of anyone. And yet this Jewish carpenter named Jesus, we're convinced his death was important. And why is that? Because thousands of years before, there was a group of people, a Hebrew nation, and they said that they worshipped a God and followed a God that said he was going to send a Messiah. 
And he gave them all of these laws and these rules that they had to follow so that when the Messiah came, everyone would know who he came from. He would come from those people. And they would know this is the Messiah. And they gave all these signs. They call them prophecies. Right? That this is going to happen. And this is how you will know. And this is how you will know. And this is how you will know. And over and over and over again... Kai decided to go to class halfway through the sermon. I can't do it. <laughs> Anybody else need to go to class? <laughs> Escape the sermon. But, but, <laughs> sorry, I lost there. Um, but, thanks, Kaya. <laughs> yeah, good thing we're recording. <laughs> this is fun. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, so we have the prophecies that point. So that when the Messiah finally came, one person was listening. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I wasn't listening either. Um, that, that when Jesus, when the Messiah finally came, that they would know. God wanted them to know exactly who the Messiah was. And not just, not just Jews, but he wanted the whole world to be able to know. Sometimes people say, well, why did God choose, choose the Israelites? Why were those his people? He had to choose somebody. Right? He had to choose some people. And in and, and, and the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, we see God didn't choose them because they were a special people. I mean, you look at their history, and they've got a messed up history. We have their history. We call it our Old Testament. Right? They, they made a lot of mistakes. God didn't choose them because they were the holiest people. God didn't choose them because they were the most likely to follow him. He chose them because he was gracious and loved them. And he wanted to save all of humanity, and he wanted to make it crystal clear to every human who the Messiah was, so that they could trust in him alone for salvation, because there was only one way that he was going to save the world. And so Jesus comes, and, and part of, of the Old Testament is this temple picture. And once a year, one person could go into this special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies, and there was this big, heavy curtain that went from the ceiling all the way down to the floor, and no one could go in there except for the high priest one time a year. He had to wear special clothes and take special baths and, and do all this special stuff. And they, they even would tie a rope around his leg just in case he died in there. They would drag him out because they, no one would go in there to, to where God manifest his presence. And yes, God is, God is everywhere, right? But his manifest presence was there in the temple. And Mark includes here this important... Again, context is key. Like, a curtain ripping is not an important thing, right? Like, like if I just rip the curtain right now, it's, it'd be weird if I stopped my sermon to rip a curtain. But it, it would not be important. But it's important here, in verse 38, where it says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And listen to how it was torn. It was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't torn in half in the middle. It was torn from top to bottom so that the Holy of Holies was exposed. It was God's way of saying, everyone is welcome now. Because of what Jesus did, this is all, we don't need this system anymore. It's not that the system was wrong. It's not that the system was bad, the sacrificial system. It's just that it served its purpose. It was pointing to something different. Context is important. We need to respect and understand the history of the Jews. We would not have gotten to Jesus without the Jews. But we were never going to be saved, and no one was ever saved by following the laws. In fact, Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, right? He, he went from, from persecuting the church 
and killing Christians because he thought they were enemies of the Jews and he thought they were blaspheming God. And he met Jesus and he realized, whoa, my context has been wrong. I've, I've been working in the context that God looks a certain way and my God box has looked a certain way. And then he met Jesus and he realized, whoa, I've been understanding it through my Jewish lens and I need to understand the Old Testament through my Jesus lens. Instead of looking back and understanding Scripture from his cultural heritage, he needed to look back and understand it through the Messiah, through Jesus. And it's not that it was untrue all of a sudden, that all the things in the Old Testament don't matter anymore. But rather, their significance had shifted. And their meanings, he could understand what they really meant. Context changed that. We look at, at, at Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, even... The way that Peter describes him, he was a respected member of the council who, also, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus at this point. Now, he becomes a follower of Jesus. We, we see that in, in the book of Acts. Luke writes about him and some other Jewish religious leaders who, who follow Jesus. But at this point, he's not. He, he just is looking for the kingdom of God. He like realizes that God is bigger than this box that he's, he's kind of put God in. Do you ever think back to your childhood? Do you ever think back to like things that happened? Maybe conversations that you had with your parents. Maybe those arguments that you had with them. As a parent, it causes me to look back a lot. And the things that I thought were big deals, right? those moments where I'm like, you just don't understand. Right? And I'm sure you never argue with your parents like that or never had those thoughts. But I did. right? Like, you just don't understand. And it's like, no, actually, they, they do understand. Like, they've been there. right? They survived their teenage years. That's how you have come to be a teenager. right? Um, and, and, and yet, that context of realizing, whoa, life is bigger than just that little situation that seems so big to me right now. And we look back at that as adults and go, that wasn't that big of a deal. I wish my problems were like that right now. Context changes that, right? The context of just, just living a little while longer, it's not that it wasn't a problem, it's that it wasn't as big as we made it out to be. Our perspective changes, and it gives us a better context to look back and to understand the events of that situation. As we look back at Jesus, Jesus is important because, one, he followed, uh, he's God, but, but two, he, he fulfilled every single messianic prophecy. Like, let's take the God piece out. Let's take the theological piece of Jesus being the Messiah out. And let's look, just look at the evidence. Let's just look at the facts. That for, for, for hundreds and, and thousands of years even, there had been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy saying a certain man was going to come. He was going to do certain things, and this is how you will know. And he is the way of salvation to God. And then one man in the history of the world comes and fulfills every single one of those. And he says, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And then he does that. It is exactly what he said he would do. Even taking the God piece out, let's take the theological piece out of that. As reasonable people, we have to give Jesus a listen. If we're going to be rational adults, right, who, who have a context of understanding that, that, that 
it would be absolutely impossible for someone to just happen to fulfill all those prophecies. I mean, the, the exponential impossibility of someone fulfilling even a quarter of those. And yet Jesus fulfilled every single one. And it is, it, is, it is absolutely impossible. You have a better chance. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning four times and winning the lottery twice in your life than Jesus fulfilling 25% of those things. And yet he did. It's, it's, it's a historical fact. And so what that does for us, realizing that there was a Jewish man who did fulfill all those things, who, who did die, who, and, and the curtain was torn in two, and, and people who weren't followers of Jesus looked at him and said, this truly is the Son of God. I mean, that, that, the fact that, that a Roman centurion, a leader of, the, of, of Roman armies, for him to say, this is the Son of God, that is a term they would use for the emperor. In fact, only the emperor. And for him to declare that, even though he didn't come from a context that, that agreed with the Jewish scriptures, that's a big deal. Truly, this man was the son of God. I mean, Pilate, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He said as much. But, but for, for pressure from, from the crowds, he had Jesus crucified. It's amazing, even, even mentioning Pilate's name, who in the story of Jesus is a really important person, but in history, we would not know that Pilate existed apart from Jesus. Pilate, who is a really important person in in the Roman Empire at that point. I mean, he was sent to, to take charge of, of Israel, and especially in Jerusalem, there was so much unrest, and they had Messiah after Messiah figure rise up and say they were going to, uh, to, to, to take over, and they were going to overthrow Rome. And so they send in Pilate to go in and to, to kind of beat down that rebellion. And he's the one who crucifies Jesus. And we only know all of that about him because of Scripture. We wouldn't know about Pilate apart from Scripture. That this man who had so much power in his context ends up being a footnote in the story of a Jewish carpenter's life. And so I wonder this morning what the importance of the cross is in the context of your life. What does the cross mean for you? It's something that historically happened. We know that. Reasonable people from, from all walks of life agree this happened, that the Jewish carpenter Jesus was crucified. That's, that's historically verifiable as much as anything in history can be. So we know that happened. We know that, that it meant that, that he was who he said he was. We know that it meant that, that God had punished the sins of, of the world on Jesus because that's what Jesus said was going to happen. And his resurrection proves that God agreed that Jesus had, had satisfied the demands, the righteous demands of God. 
What does that mean for us? I don't know where you are on your, your journey with Jesus today. I don't know where you are and how you even view God. I don't want to assume that everybody here just believes that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But I wonder, would you look at the evidence and consider what it means in the context of your life? What does the cross mean for you? There are a few things that I, I just want to close with that it definitely means for all of us. First of all, God's not mad at you. If you're here this morning and you, you think, like, God's mad at me and that's why bad things keep happening, the cross is proof that God's not mad at you. All your sins were nailed to the cross. The cross is proof that God loves you. And God wants a relationship with you. He went to such great lengths. He was willing to come to put on skin like us and to pay the penalty of our sin. Because he is a just God, sin had to be punished. He couldn't overlook it because he's just. But in his mercy and his grace, he said, I'm not willing that you should die. I'll die instead. God's not mad at you. And God doesn't want anything from you. God's not looking for you to get your life better before you follow Him. God's not looking for you to believe all these things and to understand Scripture. I mean, they didn't even have the whole Bible when these people started believing. And so I wonder today, based on what you know, based on the evidence, would you allow Jesus to enter into your context? To meet you where you are. Would you choose today to, to believe the, the truth of history and then to allow that to change the way that you view the world? For Paul, it meant that he left everything. I mean, Paul had to leave his job. He couldn't be a leader in the religious council anymore. He couldn't be a Pharisee anymore. For, for Peter, it meant that he had to be humbled and, and, and eventually become a great speaker and, and mouthpiece for the church. For, for John, it meant that, that he couldn't go back to fishing. He tried, but Jesus changed that. Like he couldn't go back to fishing anymore. He had to go do ministry. And for you, it may not mean that. Maybe it means that you trust him more, that you begin to put him first, like Adam's talked about for the last few weeks. Maybe for you, it means that that you let go of that guilt and shame that you've been holding on to. That as much as you know it's heavy and it's uncomfortable, that you just finally let it go because Jesus has paid for that. Maybe you let go of responsibility for everything that happens in your life, understanding that God is sovereign, just like he was here at the cross. And he can take care of all the problems that you have. You don't have to. What does it look like for God to enter into your context? Next week we're going to look at the resurrection and the glorious truth that we see there and the life that we can have in Jesus. But today, I want to challenge you. We're going to sing a song. And I want to challenge you today not to just stand up and sing because that's what we're supposed to do. Or maybe you stay seated and you just give God that stuff that you've been holding on.
Maybe even kneel at your chair. And that may feel a little weird, may feel a little uncomfortable, but sometimes just, just doing something different helps us to get in a different frame of mind and change that context a little bit. Maybe you need to talk with somebody. I don't know, I'll be available. We can pray for you or just talk with you through things that you're wrestling through. But I hope that this time for you is a time to really evaluate before we jump back into the busy week, before we go back into our routine, before we have our conversations over coffee. And you just be with God and say, God, what does it look like for you to be in my context where I am right now? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you chose to enter into our context to become like us. We thank you that you made it crystal clear that, that you alone, Jesus, are the way of salvation for us. We thank you that, that we don't have to figure out a way to fix all of our problems. That we don't have to, to come up with a way to, to make all things right in our life. That through the cross, that you've...